This podcast was created by CJSW, located on the traditional territories of the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta, which includes the Blackfoot Confederacy, comprising the Siksika, Pigani, and Kaina First Nations, the Sutina First Nation, and the Stony Nakoda First Nation, including the Chiniki, Bearspaw, and Wesley First Nations. The city of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. The 2022 Siksika Health Fair took place on June 7th at the Gordon Yellowfly Memorial Arbor with booths set up to promote health and wellness to the people and community of the Siksika Nation. With food trucks and tables selling via jewelry, three keynote speakers were also invited to present and share their stories and research in the topics that they specialize in. In this CGSW series, we'll showcase the speakers and learn more about them and what they discussed in their speeches. You're listening to the Siksika Health Fair Podcast. In our first episode, we'll learn a little bit more about the Siksika Nation and hear from the first of the keynote speakers invited to the 2022 Health Fair, Dr. Leroy Littlebear. We'll also learn more about Dr. Littlebear's impact on and contributions to Canadian and international Indigenous communities. According to their website, SiksikaNation.com, Siksika Nation is part of the Blackfoot Confederacy, which includes the Kaina Nation, the Pekani Nation, and the Amskapi Pekani, or Blackfeet Nation. Siksika means Blackfoot and is the language of their nation, whose population is approximately 7,800 plus. Prior to the 1800s, the Siksika government structure was made up of 36 clans, making a total of 18,000 Siksika people. The clans grouped themselves into three main tribes, and each tribe was responsible for maintaining the boundaries of the nation or confederacy. The North Blackfoot were located along the North Saskatchewan River. The South Blackfoot went all the way south to the Missouri River, while the Middle Blackfoot were responsible for everything between the Rocky Mountains and the Cypress Hills. The website also provides a brief timeline of key moments through their history. In 1830, missionaries came and influence began within the Siksika or Blackfoot Confederacy. Indian affairs in Ottawa ceased being a branch of the military and became part of the public service. In 1865, Father Lacombe first met Chief Crowfoot. In 1874, a whiskey fort was built at Blackfoot Crossing. This was the year the Northwest Mounted Police arrived in the Confederacy's territory. Throughout 1800 to 1882, raids and wars were fought by the Siksika war chiefs of the Confederacy, resulting in numerous chiefs being killed or wounded. Between 1864 and 1870, a number of unknown diseases also devastated the Siksika people. The Siksika became vulnerable at this point in time, and a subsequent decrease in Buffalo added to the hardships of the chiefs and their people. Now for a little bit about Dr. Leroy Littlebear, the first keynote speaker for the health fair for 2022. Dr. Littlebear grew up on the Blood Indian Reserve in southern Alberta, working on farms and engaging in cultural activities. When he turned 10 years old, Leroy attended the on-reserve residential school, which is where he began understanding how colonization affected his community. Leroy studied at the University of Lethbridge for his undergraduate education, where he connected with the university's president, Sam Smith, who reached out to Leroy in order to learn how to engage with Indigenous communities. While receiving his degree at Lethbridge and at the University of New Mexico, Smith and Little Bear worked together to inspire the Native American Studies program at the University of Lethbridge. 
And during his last year of law school at University of Utah, UofL's dean asked him to run the newly created program. There, at the University of Lethbridge, he created courses that have had a large impact in creating a source of education for non-Indigenous and Indigenous students alike on topics including Indigenous law, history, politics, social concerns, arts, language, and philosophy and health. I was introducing myself in Blackfoot. My Blackfoot name is Lowhorn. I come from Kainau, sometimes known as the uh, Blood Tribe. And we're of the Blackfoot Confederacy, just like Siksika. And the song you heard belongs to the clan of the small robes, which I belong to. And we sing these songs at different occasions, just like when we're moving camp into the Sundance encampment, for instance. It, it signifies the arrival of the small robes, so people know, oh, the small robes have arrived. I 
I'm very honored to be at this gathering. Dr. Little Bear's impact on Indigenous health, wellness, and philosophy are apparent in his contributions to research and presenting at health conferences at a number of universities across North America. But Dr. Little Bear also played a pivotal role in Indigenous advocacy for notable Canadian and international laws. Leroy was a member of the legal team for the British North America Act, the transfer of Canada's founding legislation for British to Canadian authority. Their team's work resulted in Canada's Section 35 of the Constitution, recognizing and enshrining Indigenous rights, making Little Bear the first Indigenous person cited in the Supreme Court of Canada. Internationally, Leroy helped create the first international Indigenous treaty in more than 150 years, named the Buffalo, a treaty cooperation, renewal and restoration of 2014. This treaty focused on committing to restoring the Buffalo and maintaining associated Indigenous cultural traditions. One of the largest legacies of Dr. Little Bear's work is his contribution in establishing a working group focused on Indigenous people in their communities within the United Nations. Their group originated the concept and the first draft of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. This declaration is being implemented by the government of Alberta, while 144 members of the United Nations have ratified it. I would like to approach the whole notion about what this gathering is about and the whole notion about mental health, mental illness, from a slightly different perspective. I've titled my presentation, as you can see on the screen, as Metaphysics intersecting Western and Native ideas about mental health from a Blackfoot perspective. And I ask questions such as, do present practices and ideas lead us to effective practitioners? So, let me, let me uh, get into some of those thoughts that I want to share with you. Before we dive deeper into Dr. Little Bear's views on metaphysics in Western and Blackwood psychologies, it's important to try to understand a little bit more about what metaphysics is. According to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, metaphysics comes from a collection of 14 books written by Aristotle. Breaking down its etymology, the word seems to define going further than physics, and in the context of Aristotle, it has been viewed as meaning after the physicals, with the physicals referring to an earlier collection by Aristotle called physics. This can make it very difficult to define metaphysics without properly researching the many aspects it actually entails, as the view on what it is has changed significantly over time. But a large part of the view on metaphysics is the concept of being as such and unchanging things that actually make up someone's world. 
essentially the things that make up people's lives that remain constant. This really just scratches the surface on what metaphysics is though. Theorists and philosophers have further expanded the finer details of metaphysics to the point where current conceptions would include the denial of a metaphysical thesis as a metaphysical thesis. If you're interested in learning more about metaphysics, visit the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy website for more information. In reference to Dr. Little Bear's speech, the focus is most related to the concept of being as such. I generally understand mental health and wellness similar to a very well-tuned car motor. You know that a car motor has a computer which we can say is its brain. When the motor is in tune, everything runs smoother. But there are times when things are actually in are, you know, actually, actually, and physically break down. Those physical breakdowns may be things that the computer, in other words, that brain in the car, just can't make adjustments for. Now, sometimes the computer brain goes haywire. I see being things like being bipolar and schizophrenia as cases where the brain, in other words, the computer, has just gone haywire. In the case of a car, you can simply change the computer. But in humans, you can't just go to the parts store and change brains. In other words, we have to continually make adjustments through culture and medications. See. Now, how does metaphysics and mental health come into the picture? Well, see, metaphysics are our, our our tools for health, for reality structuring. You see, all societies at one time or another claim a territory. Just like we talk about Blackfoot territory. Blackfoot territory, for instance, 
from Saskatchewan, North Saskatchewan River, all the way down to Yellowstone, for instance. And within that territory, a culture arises. And certain things happen. All the relationships within that territory with the animals, the plants, the land, the geography of the land, the sky, and so on. In other words, the totality of the, rela the relationships of that environment. And certain things reoccurring all the time and so on. That's where those metaphysics, in other words, they're the criteria we use for reality structure. It's more or less, we as a society, we say, oh, this is how things work within that territory. So, every morning, when we wake up, we say, this is how things are. Okay. So, in Western, in Western society, Their metaphysics are different from Blackfoot. And why this is important is because our, our way of thinking and consequently how we treat notions of mental illness then become a little bit different. See, in Western, in Western thought, their metaphysics and paradigms, in other words, how they structure reality, is everything is, there's a perceptual stagnation. In other words, this is the way God made it, and that's the way it'll be forever. Existence consists of matter. See, most everything is inanimate except for you and me. Knock on wood, everything is inanimate except for you and me. And we always, you know, start out maybe, start out big, but we always come to a point. In, all, in other words, we're reductionists. Reduce everything down to a point. That's why 
we always come up with a single right answer, one true God, one right way of doing things. Now, so that once we know something, we say, been there, done, did it. Let's move on. And the biggest, the biggest referent in the mind of Western thinkers is the notion of time. When in reality, there is no such thing, but it's a human-made thing. Social values that arise out of this are things like bigger, faster, newer, see. And, you know, those are, those are the things that make up what we know as Western metaphysics. And see, treatments science, health, and so on are based on those metaphysics. Keep that in mind. Now, when we take those meta Western metaphysics and we apply them to things like psychology. In the history, we have these notions. First came what we call structuralism. Okay. Then we came up with what we refer to as functionalism. Then, then along came Freud with his psychoanalysis. And the list goes on. See, there's a whole bunch of notions about what psychology, what mental notions are all about. In other words, the point to be made is we have a linguistic problem when it comes to psychology, mental notions, and so on. Why, why is that so? It is so because the language we speak and that I'm speaking right now. It's a whole different thing. English, like other Euro languages, is a very good language 
for categorizations. So we have a whole bunch of different types of psychologists and psychotherapists and so on. And each of them work in their own silos. In other words, because of these categorizations, you have a whole bunch of different specialists. There are all these different categories. And they all work in their own little silos. So that the client does not get a holistic treatment. One gets what I refer to as a silo treatment. In other words, a treatment from a narrow, narrow specialty. And if they don't resolve the problem, they get shifted to the next specialist. So, let's look at things from a Blackfoot paradigm. See, in Blackfoot thinking, we think in a state of flux. Everything is always in motion as opposed to things being stagnant. Everything is, you know, energy waves as opposed to being matter. So we talk about the spirit all the time. In other words, those energy waves are the spirit. Because it's about energy waves, everything is animate. So that in Blackfoot, there's no such thing as inanimate. Remember, in English, everything is inanimate except for you and I. In Blackfoot, there's no such thing as inanimate. Everything is animate. So we can talk all my relations. Those rocks, those trees, the earth, and so on, are all my relations. So, you know, everything is related. And we talk renewal. We sing the same songs. We tell the same stories. We do the same ceremonies. Year in, year out. As opposed to saying, been there, done did it. Let's move on. And 
You know, the thing is, our language is a process language. It's about action. You know, let me give you an example. If you, if you were to translate a simple word like imitao, if you asked another Blackfoot speaker, if you translate imitao into English, everybody will say dog. But that's not what it means. If you look deep into the meaning of imitao, What it really means is it's a being of some kind. We don't define what the being is, but it's a being of some kind on the moon. And if you think back, that flux means it can change forms. See? So in other words, notion of certainty is not part of Blackfoot thinking. Things can change. And instead of the notion of time, the land is the, is the most important referent. Even though the land is going to change but it does not change as quick as other things. So we use it as a reference, at least for the time being. That's, that's Blackfoot metaphysics. Now, if we were to use those Blackfoot metaphysics and apply them to the notion of mental illness, to practices like psychotherapy, what would happen? Well, all of existence is animal. It is ab about all my relations. I need all my relatives, and they need me because I'm part of them. It is all about reciprocity, give and take. Existence is about a web of relationships. What you do to the land, to the animals, to the water, you do to yourself. So, if you respect your relatives, 
they will respect you. It is all about good relationships. You're listening to the Six Second Healthcare Podcast, a CGSW original, available on the CGSW website under the podcast tab. In 1984, Dr. Little Bear released an important resource in the form of a book called Pathways to Self-Determination, Canadian Indians and the Canadian State, but he continues to have an impact on modern Indigenous and non-Indigenous people and their communities. He still teaches law, philosophy, and economic development to students at the University of Lethbridge. He's also a senior advisor to the Office of the President on Aboriginal Initiatives. As well as his contributions to education and law, Little Bear has advocated for communities near and within Lethbridge. Notably, he helped establish the Blood Tribe Police Department and also founded the Lethbridge Indian Friendship Center, now known as the Siku Kotoki Friendship Center. Now, that application of Blackfoot metaphysics to mental health how are, how are some of these relationships established? Well, we focus on cultural keystone species, such as the buffalo. The buffalo is an, is a, an eco-engineer of the land. And existence and a subsistence provider. Our songs, our stories, and our ceremonies are very closely related to the buffalo. Through its eco engineering of the, of the landscape, the buffalo has taught us many lessons about the land, the plants, and other animals. So learning our spiritual relation, responsibility to the ecosystem, that responsibility includes learning about the plants and the animal communities and their live ways. So again, it's important to remember what you do to the land, you do to yourself. The reciprocity approach to the land results in continuity and restoration of your culture, language, life ways, and so on. When I cannot hunt, for instance, or fish in certain places, like in a national park, a little bit of me disappears. See, it's kind of like if I'm a Christian, and I cannot go into the church. A little bit of me disappears. When I cannot conduct my ceremonies, 
at certain places, a little bit of me disappears. In other words, I am the environment, and the environment is me. So, how is this all related to the notion of mental illness? Well, you see, extensive research on the biology of stress has shows that the healthy development can be derailed by excessive and prolonged activation of stress response systems in the body and brain. Such toxic stress can have damaging effects on learning, behavior, and health across the lifespan of a person. And if the stress response is extreme and long-lasting and buffering relationships are unavailable to the child, for instance, the result can be can be damaged, weakened systems and brain architecture being damaged with lifelong uh, repercussions. These were being studied, for instance, at Harvard University. So in other words, we are all subject to stress, but if it keeps going and going and going, and we don't have any relief for it, it's like a baby. And hey, you hold that baby and you relieve their stress. But if there's nothing to relieve that baby, hey, it may be damaging. Now, native identity loss comes about when the land does not recognize you and you do not recognize the land. What does all this mean for us adults? Parents or teachers? It means we have to bring up our children in a cultural atmosphere that resembles the land where the children come from. The land is their identity. You should know and teach the songs, stories, and ceremonies. That's what our kids really need. So, those sounds 
are sounds of the land. The environment, the environment hearing those sounds connects, connects you to the land. Telling the story of an event allows you to place, to speak through the telling of the land. So when we're talking about land-based, that's what we're talking about. So. so in our history, several waves of Europeans have come into contact with Indians of the New World, each with devastating results. First came the Spanish. They, they spread both northward and southward from Central America. They spread northward in what is now the southern states eastward towards Florida. They spread westward and up the west coast as far as Alaska. In the process, they brought with them disease and illnesses to which Indians had no immunity. Talk about COVID-19 that we're facing today Think what it was like with influ influenza, smallpox, and TB, and so on back then. In other words, colonialism brought about individual and collective stress, which in turn made Indians a whole lot more vulnerable to diseases and illnesses and psychological dysfunction. For instance, it is readily acknowledged that Indian children lose their natural resistance to illness by habitating so closely in those schools and that they die at a much higher rate than than in their villages. This was known in 1910, which is now being corroborated by those unmarked graves we're discovering today. If the first two waves had negative results, the third wave was a tsunami. It came in the form of fur traders, missionaries, Indian agents, teachers, anthropologists, the Northwest Mounted Police, and so on. In other words, 
the tsunami was meant to totally displace the Indian. And that, in other words, the first, second, and the third waves, is at the foundation of the health, both physical and mental, of the contemporary India. What was the result of colonialism? The result is what I refer to as cultural blanks. In other words, without culture. Quite Lacan, speaking about Navajo youth, which is just as applicable up here, says, human beings faced with a conflicting set of rewards and punishment tend to cut loose from all moorings, float adrift, and become irresponsible. The young escape the control of their elders, not to accept white controls, but to revel in newfound patterns of unrestraint. For longer or shorter periods of in their lives, their only guide is the expedience of the situation. In other words, interference in social, in other words, interference results in social disorganization. So, stresses inextricably related to all kinds of illnesses, be it HIV, diabetes, obesity, common colds, cancer, you name it. I don't think we need to prove that again. It has been proven over and over again. But imagine the toxic stress hovering over indigenous people when thousands upon thousands were dying from diseases that they were not immune to or had no medicine for. Right now, imagine the toxic stress in Ukraine. And what it's going to do to those kids that are experiencing that toxic stress 20 years from now. And all the problems they're going to be facing. You've been listening to a CJSW original. For more episodes of this show and more original content, check under the podcast tab on cjsw.com. The remarkable list of accomplishments of Dr. Leroy Littlebear have not gone unnoticed, as he's received a number of awards and commendations for his efforts. Dr. Littlebear has received honorary doctorates in arts and science from the University of Lethbridge and in law from the University of Northern British Columbia. 
He was recognized as eminent scholar by the Blood Reserve, received an Urban Aboriginal Lifetime Achievement Award from the Aboriginal Council of Lethbridge, and the University of Lethbridge named their First Nations, Métis, and Inuit gathering place, Lika Askini, or Lowhorn in English, in honor of Dr. Little Bear. And in 2016, Dr. Leroy Little Bear became a member of the Alberta Order of Excellence, where you can find a lot of this information. So, what needs to be done? We need to do some reflective thinking. Are we dealing with a physical, mental, or social, cultural problem? Are our definitions and categorizations suitable for people from other cultural backgrounds? Courts take into consideration the cultural background of the Aboriginal offenders. Do we do the same in education or in the health field, in the raising of children? Do we do the same for children in care services, in mental health practice? Should we, should we not do the same? The people in the care and service fields need to do some reflective thinking and ask themselves some profound questions about how they approach their practices. If toxic stress is a major cause of social dysfunction, how can we reduce that stress? Poor social health may be caused by economic, social, political, and cultural factors such as inequality, discrimination, and insecurity. What is required is a holistic approach and not band-aids. Are we being fair to our children and to our people as a whole? You see, TRC is giving us an opportunity to reflect, to stop and reflect. And now, to some extent, COVID-19 is giving us another chance to stop and reflect. And we should take advantage of those opportunities to stop and reflect. There was a time, there was a time when in our history before 14, in 1491, and prior to 1491, the estimate of the population in the Americas was and, and the estimates keep going up, but 
the latest estimate was 125 million people in the Americas. That's the latest estimate. 125 million. When DeSoto came up from what is now Mexico and made an eastern turn towards Florida, came to the Mississippi River, in his notebooks, he wrote that there were towns up and down the Mississippi River of 60 to 70,000 people up and down the Mississippi River. Well, DeSoto, on that trip, brought with him something like 500 men. He brought with him something like 300 horses. And he brought with him something like four or three to four hundred pigs as his food supply. You've heard about swine flu. Well, see, Europeans have always been herdsmen. They've developed immunity to transmission of diseases between animals and humans. Indigenous people in the Americas have never been herdsmen. They've always left the animals alone, went out and hunted them. Their immunities were more geared towards parasites. Well, this was in 1560, thereabouts, that DeSoto made his trip. About a hundred years later was the establishment of Jamestown, the first permanent English settlement, Jamestown. By the in other words, it was about a hundred years span. By the time Jamestown was built, the 60 to 70,000 populated towns, 
that DeSoto was riding about up and down the Mississippi River were not in existence anymore. You can guess what happened. All you see now are the remnants, those, those snake mounds and so on that are tourist attractions today. So that really what Europeans are seeing and met further were survivors of pandemics. So no sign of the 125 million people that might have been, you know, if you split it in half between North and South America. No sign of those people. They were survivors that they had met. So, when you take all of that, when we ask the stress brought about by colonialism, see, causing mental illness, that's what indigenous people are facing. See, and that's what we asking, should we not rethink our approaches and our practices? If we can realize those metaphysics that we use as the foundational base of our practices. Thank you very much. This has been the Siksika Health Fair podcast. This episode featured the first of the keynote speakers at the 2022 Siksika Health Fair, Dr. Leroy Littlebear, discussing the metaphysics of Indigenous peoples and their communities. You can learn more about and from Dr. Leroy Littlebear by finding his research online, by buying his book, Pathways to Self-Determination, or by listening to his episode of The Sprawlcast, available under the podcast tab on cgsw.com. A special thank you to the Siksika Nation for inviting us to record the event, the Government of Alberta's Information on Dr. Leroy Littlebear, and the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy for their information on metaphysics. Thanks for listening, and make sure to tune into the next episode to hear from the next speaker, Dr. Angela Ferris, the Director of the Center for Child Welfare Training, Senior Research Fellow at the Hope Research Center, and Assistant Professor at the University of Oklahoma who discusses the impact and importance of creating and building hope for Indigenous communities and their health. You've been listening to a CGSW original. For more episodes of this show and more original content, check under the podcast tab on cgsw.com.